Thanks very much, Robert. Um, please do sit down. And if you have your Bibles with you, please do open it to Acts chapter 2. We started the series three weeks ago um, to talk about uh, small groups. I don't know if you remember that. Um, three weeks ago, we launched this and um, small groups, and we talked about really the elements of a living church from uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We talked about how the, the sort of this rampant individualism in our society um, and how the Spirit forms this community, the body of Christ, joining us together. And we talked about a couple of things mentioned in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The Spirit-filled community devotes itself to learning from the Bible and also to meeting one another, um, to be united in the mind and also in our love for one another. That's the first slide. (laughs) And today, as we think about membership, rather than thinking about what it means to be members, I thought we would just take some time to think about what it means to be a church together. So what it means to be a church and thriving church, a living church, and then, uh, as a corollary, what it means to be a part of that, what it means to be part of that um, sort of organization. But as we do that... uh, As we open up our Bibles, chapter 2, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much for your living word. And we pray that only your word that is alive and active, sharper than two-edged sword, will be spoken from this pulpit. And we pray that your truth uh, will shape all of us, not just as as individually, um, but as a corporate body. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you take a look at verse 42, these are the elements of a living church, the early church. Early church wasn't without its problems, but early, uh, early church was undoubtedly filled with the Spirit, and early church uh, started being the church. And this is what Luke records. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we talked about the apostles' teaching and uh, fellowship already, and we're going to now talk about the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And if you look down to verse 46, uh, that breaking of bread is mentioned there again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The breaking of bread here, here mentioned here could be a couple of different things, but most likely it is a reference to communion. Communion table that Christ instituted before he uh, was betrayed. And perhaps the fellowship meal uh, uh, is in there as well. And as you know, Luke wrote both Book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke um, together. And we see Jesus breaking the bread, obviously, before the night he was betrayed, but also at the end of Luke. Remember when a couple of disciples were traveling on the road uh, to Emmaus. They're discussing Jesus, and Jesus himself shows up next to them um, and, and opens up the Bible 
and explain, explain, explains uh, it to the disciples who he is. He opens up the Bible. He teaches them from the Bible who he is. But they still don't recognize Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. Then in Luke chapter 24, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began, began to give it to, the, uh, give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus appeared to them in bodily form, and they didn't recognize him. Jesus then opened up the Bible and explained to them who he was from the Bible. They didn't recognize him. But it was only when Jesus sat down, he took bread, gave thanks, and started giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they saw who Jesus was. There's something mysterious about the communion, the Eucharistic table. And that, in some ways, is why it has been getting so much attention lately. In the past 20 years, 10, 20 years, Eucharistic theology has sort of boomed. In our postmodern culture, people don't want to say that we can grasp everything, that we, want, we can know everything, that there's something sort of mysterious about uh, the world. And so communion sort of appeals to people like this, people, to, to, this, this, to this culture that sort of focuses on the transcendence, transcendence and uncertainty. And so New Age religion has been booming, um, and religions that focus on sort of mystical experiences like Buddhism or Sufi Islam they have, have become popular. God transcends our knowledge and human categories. In some ways, communion table and what Jesus says at the communion seems mysterious. I mean, he says, eat, take, eat, this is my body. What does it mean? What does it mean that this, uh, we're eating Christ's body and drink my blood? The words do seem mysterious, and it seems like God is offering, Jesus is offering this mystical experience of incorporation of himself into his life and us into his life, and, and himself to, to our lives. And as Christians, we do believe that Christ is really present when we receive this bread and wine. The Reformers called it real presence. Christ is really present in some mysterious way. And of course, attending a communion service can be profoundly moving, I remember the feeling in my college days being just so moved by the invitation that Jesus gave to everyone, everyone to come to the table and receive his body and blood to sinners like us. But as Von Roberts, a preacher in Oxford, says, the difference between a mystic and a truly Christian experience of communion is that mystic has the, has, uh, has the experience directly. The Christian's heart and emotions, on the other hand, are affected indirectly via the mind, as his or, or her attention is focused in the, in the visible, tangible way on the wonder of the gospel of the cross. Unless the mind, unless the mind has been directed back in the remembrance of the cross, no true Lord's Supper has taken place. The true Christian experience of communion, Robert says, goes through the mind. Christ is made present in remembrance, in remembering and participating in the communion. The sacrament of communion is also a speaking word. 
it also speaks to us. It also teaches us. It also points us back to who Jesus is. It is the Word made flesh in that way. It is Word made visible in that way. Both Word and sacrament bear witness to Christ. This is what John Stott says. Both promise, uh, both promise salvation in Christ. Both quicken our faith in Christ. Both enable us to feed on Christ in our hearts. The major difference between them is that the message of one is directed to the eye and, the, uh, uh, and of the other to the ear. So the sacraments need the word to interpret them. The ministry of the word and sacrament is a single ministry, the word proclaiming, the sacrament uh, dramatizing God's promises. Both the preaching, spoken word, and also the, 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 the word spoken through the communion are single ministry. It teaches us and points us back to Christ. And as we see Jesus lifted up, as we see the body broken at the communion table, we're reminded once again of who Christ is. And in that remembrance, we receive the presence of Christ. But that's, in a way, um, not what I want to focus on. <laughs> the breaking of the bread is essentially, is, uh, it, um, it speaks to the essential nature of Christian worship. This passage speaks to the, 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 the essential nature of worship, the necessity of worship, both formal and informal. Next slide. See what, uh, see what it says in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. They met formally in the temple and participated in the worship life there. But then the worship didn't stop there. They actually brought it back to their homes in an informal worship. They broke bread at their homes and remembered Christ at home together. We must devote ourselves to corporate worship. That's the, um, the fourth element of a living church, that they devoted themselves to worship together and remembering Christ together. And one reason we know why we know that the, the Spirit-filled church devoted itself to worship is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Hebrews writer writes, Let us not give up meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to the emphasis here. The writer could have said, make sure that you keep meeting other believers, otherwise you will fall away. And that is true. That is true. But instead, the writer chooses to focus uh, focus in the other direction. Keep meeting with other Christians, not so much for your sake, but also for their needs. They need your encouragements. Make sure that you keep meeting with other believers. Um, so, the, so to be an encouragement to the others. I ran a couple of marathons in my life. Um, the first one I ran when I was in college. Um, my best friend, Jim Beitler, and we decided to uh, run the marathon together because we, uh, for many different reasons, we stopped rooming together in our junior year, and we wanted to spend some time together and do something together. So we chose to run the marathon. 
I remember training for it every day, day after day, no matter how much homework that we had, how rainy it was, how cold it was. It was cold in Chicago um, autumn, how tired we were. I went out to run with him. But if I were doing it just for myself, I really couldn't have done it. I just don't have the discipline. I just don't have the motivation. It just wouldn't have been done. Every day, I thought of Jim. <laughs> what, this was me, uh, what this meant for, for both of us. Every day, I went out to deepen our friendship, to sustain it, to enjoy it. I went out every day. And that was the only way that I could run that marathon. Let us not give up meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, the Hebrews writer writes. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Regular worship is important. You cannot be a Christian alone. Coming together on Sundays, to the Bible studies, to the prayer meetings, and others is important. Let us devote ourselves to worship. For in worship, we also recognize Jesus there. And when we are in awe, when we praise, when we submit our lives to Christ in worship, when we ascribe worthiness to Christ, we recognize Jesus for who he is. And that actually fuels our lives together. That will get us and that will get the community going. It will encourage all of us. So the spirit-filled community devotes itself to worship. And the final element um, mentioned in verse 42 there is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Um, I mean, all these things actually, worship, prayer, fellowship, learning, all these things, I, I could really devote the whole sermon series on it, so I had to pick and choose a bit of uh, what I needed to say. Um, but prayer, I want to say today, is important because not praying is the same thing as saying we can manage by ourselves. We can manage by ourselves. And self-sufficiency is not part of the church. If the church is a family of Christ, we must continue to remember the head of the family and talk to him and depend on him. And it's, it doesn't come as a surprise to me that they devoted themselves to prayer. Remember, they had just experienced the Pentecost. God sent the Holy Spirit to the church. They saw the tongues of fire, and it rested on each of the people there. The sound of violent wind surrounded them. They spoke in the language of other nations. Peter, who only 40 days before denied Jesus, three times stood up to proclaim Jesus and his resurrection. And here, people hearing, 3,000 people were converted on that day. They saw the power of God. And Bill Heibel, um, I want to recommend you this book. Uh, too busy not to pray, so it points out a couple of reasons why he, he says we don't pray. He says one is that we don't believe that God is this powerful God. God is who is able to do much. In my short life, no one has come to me 
um, to, uh, ever to say, could you help me to fix this uh, TV or refrigerator or any kind of electrical appliances? Because if he came to me with those requests, it's useless. I cannot do it. <laughs> I have no idea how to fix any of these things. You, you should go to Sam and you should go to John um, uh, uh, if you want to, uh, these things fixed. Perhaps one reason why we don't pray is truly in deep within our hearts, we think, ah, this one will not make a difference. It's a waste of our time. That God is unable. And the Spirit-filled church prays because it knows the power of God. It knows that God is able. The Bible, the Bible speaks again and again of the fact that God is able. He's able to save three of his followers from, uh, uh, three followers, uh, from the fiery furnace in Daniel. Able to save Daniel himself from the lion's den. Able to give child to 99-year-old Sarah to, get, to, to, to be able to give um, the, his followers all that they need. Able to save completely those who come to Jesus able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God is able. But maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you know that God is able. But maybe you think he's unwilling. That's the second thing that um, Haiva points to. Remember the story of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. The widow wants justice, and he goes, she goes to, to the judge again and again, but the judge doesn't care. But the widow persists, and the judge finally gives in. And many people see God like that judge and ourselves like that widow. On both accounts, we're wrong. First, we're not like the widow who's going to a judge. We are children of God. We are redeemed by God's own son, we're adopted children of God. We approach the throne of Christ with the rights as children. As children go up to their parents and demand something. We are children of God. And God is also not like the unjust judge. God is not just our... Uh, God is not just... Uh, not just. No, he, he is just. And he is not just a judge, but he is also our father. He delights in listening to our prayers. Heibel, in this uh, book, recounts his story um, of, of him uh, buying a BM, BMX bicycle to his son. He said it was one of the most theologically enlightening moments of his life. After watching his son go up and down the driveway... He said that it filled, it filled uh, his eyes with tears. This is what he writes. If that bike had cost hundreds, it would have been worth it. I've never, I've never had more joy from giving a gift to anyone. I got goosebumps watching him ride that bike, seeing his eyes wide open with excitement. God is that sort of loving father who loves giving gifts to his children. Um, Last time I visited Korea uh, was 2001. I went to uh, this big meeting every Tuesday evening. The university students in Korea in Seoul meet together to pray. And I was surprised by just the sheer number of young people there. It was about, I think, at least 2,000. 2,000 young university students meeting together 
every Tuesday evening. And remember, these are Korean students. It's not like they don't take their studies seriously. They came to pray. But then the pastor said, let's pray. And you know how Koreans pray. We all pray out loud together. And this big auditorium filled with waves of sound, people praying, crying out for their friends, for their family, for their university, crying out to God, their loving Father, to act. I actually couldn't pray. I was so moved. My eyes were teary. I got goosebumps. And it occurred to me, this is why God blessed the Korean church. This is why God has loved Korea and Korean church so much. It became the church in, in the 1950s really was very, very small. Within 50, 60 years, it became a, a, a nation that sends out second most number of missionaries around the world. And if you asked any Korean Christian why, why do you think this happened? They'll say it's because of prayer. Because we're people who pray. They devoted themselves to prayer. Church has to be a place where people get down on their knees to pray. Church has to be a family who never forgets who their father is. And so constantly turn to him to pray. So church devoted themselves um, to, uh, to, to, to prayer. And finally... Church has to be an outward-looking uh, outward community. The last quality of living church is found, actually, in verse 47, if you look all the way down there. Chapter 2, 47. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Um, I've, I've been exposed to a number of these clubs in Hong Kong, a bit. And the word that comes to my mind is Exclusive. <laughs> The club wants to keep people out and keep the right people in because exclusivity is why people want to join these clubs. You want peace and quiet that comes with a nicer space or a meal or just the status that's associated with these places. The church is not like this club. It's not a group like that. In fact, the church is much more like just throng of mob of celebration. When you know, when you go to a soccer game and somebody scores, you just hug everybody around, around you. Church is that sort of celebration. That's that. It's that sort of uh, community. God sent His Son. He died for us. He rose again, and God sent His Spirit to be with us. This is good news, and we're celebrating every week together. And in every good celebration, you want everybody in. You want to share this good news with everybody. Uh, I'm just going to give you one illustration and end. Um, I just got this phone application. I, I now have this smartphone. Um, and uh, oh, I can't find it. Um, in my, my phone, I just got this application called Viber. Um, Viber is this, it's a bit like Skype but better. <laughs> that um, You don't have to be online. You can actually call each other through your number if you have a smartphone. Um, and my parents gave it to me so that, as my, told me about it because they wanted to, wanted to reach me. 
um, uh, be able to call me when when uh, 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 when they wanted to reach me. So um, uh, they they told me about this, and I, I got this thing, and I thought, what a great app! And then I started telling everybody about it. I mean, it was a bit random, you know. I would go, do you do you have Viber on your phone? <laughs> Um, because it's such a great app, and I think everybody should have it. Everybody should hear about it. I became its ambassador because it's a great app. But the second thing, second thought that came to my mind was, what it does is when you when you install this app on your phone, it then goes through all your contacts in your phone and tells you who else has Viber on the phone. And then I started to think to myself, why didn't these people tell me about this? This is, why didn't these people tell me about this great app? We could call each other free, for free, even if you're, uh, even internationally. This is a silly example, but I think if you really believe that the gospel is good news, first and second will be true. You will tell others about it. You have to, because this is something that you really think is good news, that everybody should hear about. As a Sri Lankan evangelist, D.T. Niles, has said, sharing the gospel is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And if you really believe the gospel is the lifeline, how could you not tell others about this good news? And secondly, when your friends become Christians and find out um, who Jesus is, they will think, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Why didn't you share this good news about him? I'm sure a similar thought will take place on the judgment day as well. Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? But what this verse really says is as it's an outward-looking church, and of course, um, but in the end, it's the Lord who saves. The church is a celebration of what God has done, and God also brings himself, and God brings a people to himself as well. The Lord added, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No doubt he did it through the preaching of the apostles, everyday witness of the church members, and their common life of love, but it was still God who did it. Our job is to be a church and tell and to love And you see that little word daily there. The Lord these things daily, day by day. Those early Christians did not regard evangelism as an occasional activity. They were not content to organize church missions time to time. Their witness was continuous as their their worship, day by day. And the Lord honored it. Converts were being added daily. So, five aspects of a living church, things that they devoted themselves to. One, the apostles' teaching. We have to be a learning church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. We have to be meeting together, love one another. Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We have to be a church that worships, in which Christ is at the center And we have to be a church that devotes ourselves to prayer that's dependent on God. 
But we're not a clique. We have to be an outward-looking church, a church that shares the good news of Christ. We must devote ourselves to telling other people about who Jesus is. So it is Membership Sunday. And uh, if you can now take a look at uh, this thing that's in the middle, uh, that, that, that should be in, uh, given out uh, to you with the, uh, the church program and bulletin. As you can see, in the front, it tells you what being a member is. Being a member is recognizing that we're called to live as a part of the body of Christ, not as individuals. And being a member is a public recognition, public identification that we see ourselves as members of this church and this family of Christ, and therefore also the body of Anglican Christians. So that's what being a member is. And, but it's not, um, it's not like membership in, in, in park and shop where you know, it's, it's a nominal thing that, that, that comes with no commitment. We want you to know what being a member is and commit yourselves to it. And really, this is what we have been talking about in, the, in, in this sermon series. One, as members of the church, we commit to learning from the Bible corporately as, and individually. We commit ourselves to meeting and loving members of this local body of Christ. We commit ourselves to worshiping and praying regularly with others in the church. We commit ourselves to sharing the gospel in our different networks. We also commit ourselves to giving our financial, practical, and spiritual gifts for the gospel work uh, through this church. So this is what you're committing yourselves to. Um, and if you uh, flip the, the page, there's a couple of boxes there. Now, if you want to be a formal member of the church, would you join? The only way that we do that is by joining the electoral roll. If you join the electoral roll, you've formally become a member of this church. And you can do it today. Um, there are forms in the back. This is what it looks like. Um, it has uh, the committee nomination form as well as the electoral roll form. Um, and if you want to check to see if you are uh, already there, you can check it in the third page. So tick the box and please uh, do uh, 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 drop it off in the back if you want to join the electoral uh, roll. Um, and if you want to find out more about becoming a church, tick that box um, as well. But would all of you actually now take the time um, to fill out this information? I'm sorry, the last couple of uh, uh, weeks have been just filling out lots of um, uh, forms. But our database right now is, current, uh, is terribly outdated, and we want to update our database. Whether you want to join the electric, electoral role or not, would all of you fill out this form and tell us, what your name and address and, and other things are so that we'll be able to contact you and, 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 um, and have you be part of the, of the church. So um, 